Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. <laughs> Sorry about that. All right, so the scripture we're reading this morning comes from Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 12 through 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together all in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We're continuing, thank you, Adam, continuing in our study of the book of Colossians, and we are finishing it up next week, and like I said earlier, and the week after that, uh, beginning our series on Advent annually, focusing four weeks on the promise of Christ's coming and his promise to come again. Uh, so second to last installment in this wonderful series, studying the epistle of Colossians. Uh, let's bow our heads together and pray uh, together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are near to us and not far. Uh, thank you that you are committed to us and our transformation even more than we're committed to it ourselves. You are relentless in your love, uh, dogged in your commitment to making us more like Jesus or to opening our eyes and helping us to see Jesus for the first time, which might be the story of some of us here today. So wherever we're at, we pray that you would come and speak and shine light in our hearts. We need you. In Christ's name, amen. I don't know about you, but shopping for clothing certainly is not one of my favorite activities. Although I do find it interesting, kind of the part of me that uh, takes intrigue in entering into the dressing room, uh, taking that pile of shirts or jeans or whatever it might be that I'm seeking to purchase uh, and trying those things on. You know, you look into the mirror and at first you have your old worn down clothes, you know, the things that you're trying to replace, the, the ripped jeans or the sagging t-shirt that doesn't hold its form anymore maybe. And so I'm standing there maybe in Old Navy on 14th Street or some other place and I'm looking now at these new things that I'm putting on, comparing and contrasting these sharp, crisp jeans that I have on, the bright colors, these shirts that seem to fit me a little bit better, the way I notice that my body's changed a little bit. Things don't fit like they used to, right? You look at these clothes, and perhaps you have as well as you have gone into the dressing room, and you're asking yourself, does it fit? Is it me? As you try on these new clothes, today's passage is an invitation to each of us to try on some clothes, to wear them, and this is the metaphor, the word picture that Christ has given to us, 
because he has given to you and me a new wardrobe, new clothes to wear. In today's passage, the Apostle Paul is urging the Colossian Christians to live changed lives, new lives, on a daily basis, on an everyday basis. One paragraph earlier in verses 9 and 10, he said this, put off the old self, take off those clothes with its practices, and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So Paul here in this passage is telling us, put on some clothes. This is the central metaphor. In fact, here's the central command, the main command of this passage. Verse 12, clothe yourselves or put on these virtues, character qualities, behaviors, patterns of living. And listen, at first, these qualities that we're about to go over together that he lists out in this passage, they don't always fit. Do they fit, these clothes? No, not always. You need to grow into them sometimes. And, and, and are they me? Is it you as you look at yourself in the mirror? Well, it is you. It might not feel like you, but it is you, the you that's being renewed in God's image. Do you know, beloved, that if you are in Christ, day by day, he is making you more and more into the image of himself? By faith, as you grow in faith and in love and in hope, when you look into that mirror in the dressing room, as it were, you more and more will do a, a, a double take, realizing that Jesus is standing there in front of you, in you, and all around you. He's making you more like Christ. So what does this look like? What are the clothes that we are to put on? Well, he gives us first some personal virtues to put on. And then he gives us some communal practices collectively to put on We'll look at each of those in turn. First, personal virtues. Right from the start, verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with... And then he lists eight personal virtues that are to be practiced in community. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, forgive one another, and over all these virtues put on love. So five character qualities, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Then he gives two commands, bear with each other, forgive one another. And then he summarizes all of this as one thing, love. What do each of these mean? Can we unpack these together? Number one, put on compassion, dear friends. What's compassion? It's to feel someone else's suffering. You know, if you take apart that word, it literally means to suffer with someone in your mind, in your heart, and sometimes even in your bodies. That word that's translated compassion here, it literally means, I've mentioned this before, intestines. Ew. Well, what's it saying? It means feeling someone's pain in your gut. Do you feel it right here when you encounter someone else's woundedness? 
Do you ask yourself, what's it like to be them? Do you ask yourself, what must they be feeling? Sometimes it's hardest to be compassionate to those that are most different from you. Whether if it's culturally or maybe they're coming from a different economic background or, or maybe their family story is just so different from yours that it's hard to feel what they feel. Here's a call by God's grace to step into someone else's world and to feel it in your gut. Sometimes it's hard to feel compassion for someone that's far from you. Sometimes it's hardest to feel it towards someone that's nearest to you. Uh, the ones you live with, see all the time, brush shoulders with but don't ever take enough time to feel compassion. Here's a calling to put on the compassion of Christ. Secondly, the apostle says, put on kindness. Kindness, there's a word that we throw around a lot. It almost can seem thin or meaningless to us. What does it mean? It's kind of a, a, a spirit of caring or a generosity a selfless generosity that doesn't expect any praise or recognition from other people. And I want to be quick to explain and note that kindness is also listed as a fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. And so it's important to remember that this isn't just talking about person's natural temperament. You know, you're just sort of a nice people. Some of you all are just nice people, not me. But some of you are just nice people. And that's wonderful. And God uses that. But listen, some of you are not naturally nice people, and God is changing you and making you kind. Here's my point. This is not just a matter of temperament or personality. It's a supernatural work of God's Spirit. He makes you selfless in generosity. He makes you eager and willing to do things for other people, a big-heartedness expressed in little ways. Uh, what would it look like for you to live generously in some small way today, giving of yourself, putting another person first? My kids and I, we were watching, actually as a whole family watching, you remember that old show, Extreme Makeover Home Edition, right? It's when they come, they pick some family that has some kind of a need, and then uh, they pull together all these resources in the whole community, and they renovate the entire house, tailor-making different rooms to different members of the family and caring for them. I know the show has come under some criticism and scrutiny, but you get the gist of it. They're trying to help people, and the particular uh, episode that we were watching was related to the King family, an extremely generous family located in the city of Charlotte, North Carolina, who not only had a home that was in deep disrepair and had a family member who was suffering a chronic illness, but also ran a daycare. And the testimony of family after family in their community was they would stay late when I needed to work late. They would come early when I needed to come early. They would do everything to support us so that we could support our families. And story after testimony after story of how generous and sacrificial the King family was, so much so, it was an amazing sight to see almost, it seemed, the entire city excited for this family to be blessed because they knew how much they had blessed others in the community. 
or so excited to see them blessed because they knew that here was a family that by blessing one family, it was going to have a trickle effect to so many others in the community, blessing that extended far beyond their own walls because that's simply how they lived. Listen, friends, are you so generous in your lifestyle with your energy, your time, your material possessions, your words, your kindness? Are you so generous and you have such a reputation of being such that when you are blessed by God, everyone cheers because they see how you don't hoard it for yourself, but you're so quick and so sacrificial in giving it out to others? Where people want to see you win because when you win, everyone else wins. So quick you are to spill over with kindness, sharing the spoils of God's love, as it were, with those immediately around you. Would you be such a kind person, even as you experience the kindness of God? Compassion, kindness. Third, put on humility. Put on humility. Now, let's be quick here to say, That this doesn't mean thinking less of yourself. Oh, I'm so terrible. Humility, humility, right? I'm nothing, I'm nothing. As many have pointed out, it doesn't mean to think less of yourself. Humility means to think of yourself less. Because we all struggle with just being so occupied with me, my needs, my thoughts, my opinions. What is it about you that's constantly occupying your heart, your mind, and your actions? What would, be, what would putting on humility in the coming week look like for you? Let me give you a very concrete application. Uh, one, one that I want to put into practice together with you because I struggle with this like you do too. How to listen. I mean, how much are you in a conversation with another person? And before they're even done with the sentence, you're already thinking about how you're going to respond. You're already, whether if it's in a debate, you're already thinking of your retort. I mean, literally, you're tuning them out because you're anticipating what you want to say. And frankly, you're quite uh, impressed with what you're about to say. Uh, you haven't even said it yet. I mean, look, I mean, is it just me? You sit there, you're like, here, here comes a good, good argument. This is, this is a good one coming. Okay, let me hurry up and finish. And in fact, you can't wait for them to be done. It's why you cut them off. Is it just me? Maybe it is. Or maybe even with good intentions, a person is sharing about their struggles and you don't even realize it, you know, a person says, man, I just wrecked my ankle. Just say, hey, I did too when I was in fourth grade. And then you go on for about four minutes talking about your sprained ankle in the fourth grade, and they're like, I, yo, I'm me, my ankle, right? Because everything you say to me reminds me of myself. How full of ourselves can we possibly be? Let's be honest. See, humility is a type of love. It's not just personal demotion. It's the promotion of generous love. 
other-centered thoughts. I'm thinking about you. So when you are talking to me, humility says, listen to what they're saying. And then practice the stuff that we just talked about. Compassion. Feel what they're feeling, which means you got to be fully present, taking in every word. Kindness, which is generosity, even of your ears. I'm listening for every possible thing. I'm giving you all of my attention, all of my energy right here. See, generosity in my listening makes me more fully present. That is a form of humility. Why? Because you're putting someone before yourself. I'm letting your interests dictate my energies, my actions, my behavior, my mind, my heart. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. What can that kind of humility, especially in the way that you're engaging people in conversation and listening, look like for you this week? Fourth, put on gentleness. Gentleness. Uh, this, this is the one probably that pierces me most, pierced me most as I'm preparing this uh, time, this sermon for you in the, in the past week. Gentleness. That's, of course, the opposite of being harsh. But as I pondered it more, uh, I, I think it's not just the opposite of being harsh. It's also the opposite of being reactionary. Right? Because the nature of the opposite of gentleness is um, a bit of a quick, impulsive response that tends to be abrupt or heavy-handed, something that's reactionary, uh, when my words or my actions are either loaded with defensiveness or a demandingness. See, gentleness doesn't just mean being soft. That's how we misconstrue this. Gentleness means being understanding, uh, sympathetic to a person's weaknesses and limitations, uh, where I'm, I'm willing to restrain myself, hold back the horses in order to pursue what's best for them, right? So gentle with my words to help someone understand something that they don't understand, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm slower in explaining it, instead of just spewing it out there. Or if I'm correcting a person, I'm, I'm careful, thoughtful. I can still speak the truth, but I'm thoughtful with how I'm speaking in my word choice, my tone, in order to not just to be nice or not just to be people-pleasing so they won't dislike me or be mad at me, but rather so that I can really help them to hear what they need to hear. It's for their good, not for my rescue. It's for their good, see, because gentleness is love, not niceness, right? It's, it's doing what I need to do, which is hard internal work, to tone it down or slow it down or tamp it down so that they can receive what they need to receive, not only from me, but from God. Gentleness. So that those who are weakest or most stumbling or most mistake-prone can feel safest around you. Because gentleness makes us approachable. And guess what? Who was the gentlest of them all? Jesus. He even said this about himself, Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Author Dane Ortland says this about Jesus. 
He doesn't handle us roughly. He doesn't scowl and scold. He doesn't lash out. His heart is not a ticking time bomb. His heart is the green pastures and still waters of endless reassurances of his present and comfort. Beloved, put on gentleness. Number five, fifthly, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. Fifth, patience. Patience. Waiting with a happy heart. (laughs) That's how I used to describe uh, patience to my kids when they were younger, right? The nature of patience, there's some element of waiting, but it's also not waiting and sort of kicking and grumbling. (sighs) You know, that's not patient at all. That's just not wanting to get in trouble, right? Waiting with a happy heart. Patience. Some of you today are in a season of waiting. I know it's been hard. Waiting on news, waiting on a relationship, waiting on outcomes, waiting. Uh, Friends, it's not by accident that one of the most repeated commands, disciplines, and invitations that we find in the scriptures, especially the Psalms, is wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Not only because he does come through, though not always the time we expect and the way that we expect, but listen, hear the invitation of God's grace that there's so many uh, asks, invitations, commands to wait also tells us God knows how hard it is to wait. God knows that we live in in these valleys where, where our hearts are longing for things and we live with so much unfulfillment Beloved, wait on Christ. Keep going. So there's waiting on God, but this passage actually is talking about a different kind of waiting. It's the waiting for other people, right? It's not just the waiting in faith on God's promise to be fulfilled, his presence to be fulfilled. It's the waiting for someone else. Because maybe it's taking them some time. Or, 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 or maybe because you're moving quicker than they might be moving. Uh, literally, this word translated patience means macro. I mean, literally, the Greek word is macros. Macro-hearted. And I was thinking about this, like, what does patience have to do with being macro-hearted, big-hearted? And I think it's something like this, because we usually think of patience as clenching. Yeah. Like we're constricting something to wait, right? <laughs> don't, don't think about it too much. But listen, but it's actually impatience. It's actually impatience that's clenched, right? Come on, ugh, come on. It's impatience that's narrow, doesn't give room for people to lag. It, it's impatience that's constricted. Patience is a big-heartedness, macro-heartedness that leaves room for people to grow, leaves room for people to come on in behind, leaves room for people to go at the pace that works best for them, leaves room for God to work out his plan and purposes in their life according to his timing, and it's not just because they're slow, you see, It's leaving room for one another. The other day, while driving on one of our D.C. streets, we pulled up 
right next to an Aston Martin. And so a hot sports car, like what are you doing in DC, right? Like kind of thing. And I've been seeing, we've been noticing a lot more Italian sports car in town. I don't know about you, but Aston Martin, I immediately said to the kids, look at that. You ain't gonna see a lot of these around, right? So I, we're pointing this out. And then we notice this, this, you know, luxury sports car is almost predictably weaving, right? Kind of, you know, revving the engine, moving right, moving left, curving around people, you know, almost unsafely, but the traffic was so tight, he couldn't get anywhere anyway. And then, you know, I pointed that out, like, guys, look, they're just weaving around. And, and, and then I kind of muttered to myself, I don't even know if they heard it. I said, well, you don't buy an Aston Martin to drive patiently. I mean, like, of course, he wants to drive fast. And of course, he doesn't have time for other people. And this is the thing. Some of y'all think you're living an Aston Martin life. And you think you're entitled to passing people up all the time. Or you think the value of your time is Aston Martin value. And you don't got time for anyone else's cheap time. They got to catch up. Come on, pick it up. Follow me or get out of the way. Folks, listen, how do you see yourself, your life, your time, your possessions, and who you are? I mean, everything we just said up to this point feeds into this one virtue, too. The humility that we need, right? The kindness, uh, other regarding love, where we can realize, man, look, you, you might fancy yourself in your life being an Aston Martin, but y'all, you know, you a little pinto, right? I mean, broken, broken, desperate for grace, needing the God of grace to come and, and fuel you and fill your tank. I'm going gonna, gonna to keep taking this metaphor too far, right? But listen, what you think of yourself, your self-image, and the pride that that can create absolutely churns out impatience and the ugly fruit of a tapping foot all the time. It's not just about saying, I, yeah, I need to be more patient. It's who do you think you are? And do you know a God who has waited for you? Come on. Come along. You're all right. A God who could have quickly weaved around you and away from you, leaving you in your death and destruction. He said, come along. I'm going to love you. I'm going I'm to stand on the side of the road. You're so far behind, I'm going to wait for you. In fact, I'm going to go back and get you. I'm going to send my son to die for you on the cross. That's how much I love you. Put on patience. Put on patience. Sixth and seventh. I'm watching the clock. We're going to have to pick this up. Bear with each other and forgive one another. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. These are, I think, related commands. And let me just deal with them together. Bear with each other, forgive one another. What's the difference? Bear with is talking about patiently enduring someone else's sin. Bearing the pain and the cost of living close to fellow sinners, which we don't want to do, which is why some of us just live by ourselves. Because you know, you know, even if you live with fellow Christians, people that are saved by God's grace, 
Change takes time. Growth takes time. Learning to love takes time. We are selfish sinners, and that means if you live in close proximity with selfish sinners, you are going to bear collateral damage of that person's growth. You're going to get hit by the shrapnel of their sanctification. And, and that's not just because they're so terrible. That's just the way it is. Because we're not yet in glory. And we still are full of our sin. So here's a wild command. Reckon with that and bear with that. Don't run. Endure. That's what bear with means. Endure patiently with someone else's sin. Stick with them even when they wrong you. Beloved, this is, this is the case even, why? Let me throw this in to make sure that it's clear. Why? Because Jesus sticks with you, right? Because there ain't nobody that's got more endurance than the God of endurance who bears with all of our cumulative, cumulative sin and selfishness against him. But it's especially true of the little ways. The, the little ways, the things that people do around us, not just the, the, the big wounds, but the irritations. Right? Because some of us can just get so thin-skinned, you're just consumed by how annoying everybody is all the time. Jesus says, bear with it. It's something like 1 Peter 4, 8, love covers over a multitude of wrongs. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love is not irritable, easily upset. And so we, in Christ, refuse to be easily irritated, refuse to be perpetually annoyed. I mean, right? Some of you, some weeks, you just kind of live like perpetually annoyed. Like everyone is just, ugh, Right? Jesus gives us grace to overcome this, to grow out of this, to build up an emotional resilience, even in the face of little irritations and even real substantive injuries. I'm not like that naturally, right? But God gives us grace to grow thicker skin, to love well. Bear with each other and forgive one Another. Now notice here, Paul says, if you have specific grievance against someone. So look, someone sins against you. They wrong you. They hurt you. What do you do with that? Forgive one another. Let's be honest. Let's be real. Forgiveness is not popular today. Right? Most people, many people, maybe more accurate to say many people today, think forgiveness only gets you into trouble. Uh, only invites further harm or abuse, only uh, gives more welcome to wrongdoing. Uh, forgiveness, uh, it was a nice try, we gave it a run, but no longer. It's time to fight, right? And look, sometimes it's because we have wrong teaching about it and we don't understand what it actually entails, right? Forgiveness is not just burying your hearts. Forgiveness is not just forgive and forget, which is really just denial. Forgiveness does not erase the consequences of our sin. As Pastor Yancey preached last week, it doesn't erase the consequences of our sin. Forgiveness doesn't erase accountability for our sin either. So what then is forgiveness? What exactly is it that Christ calls us to? Forgiveness is non-retaliation. 
It's, it's not feeling good about people that hurt you. It is not that. That might come, but foremost and at its core, forgiveness is non-retaliation, refusing to punch back. In your heart, in your mind, and even with your actual fists, or worse. In other words, forgiveness is is talking this out with yourself in at least these five steps. These five steps that you, you, you can say to yourself in the process, and it is a process of forgiveness. Number one, yes, I was sinned against and injured. So you're not denying anything. Forgiveness does start with an acknowledgement. Yes, I was sinned against and injured. Number two, and yes, I do have a moral right to punish them for it. There are actual consequences. This impulse that I have to retaliate, to exact revenge, is not coming from nowhere. It comes from the moral universe implanted in my heart as a person that's made in God's image. So number one, yes, I was sinned against. Number two, yes, I, I do have a right. I can rightly punish the person. But three, but I will not retaliate. Will not seek revenge. Will not replay that incident on loop in my brain unchecked will not talk to other people essentially reliving that event again and again and again and again, which is another way of punching, 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 right? Verbally, because it feels so good, right? Number four, I will not retaliate because Christ did not retaliate against me. Because Christ forgave me is precisely the logic that Paul draws us into. The second half of verse 13, you saw it. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You're forgiven and of so much more. So then out of the grace and the energy and the power, the mysterious power of that love, that forgiving love, forgive and forgive and forgive. I was sinned against. I do have a right to punish, but I will not punish. I will not retaliate, number four, because Christ has forgiven me, dying for me on the cross. And number five, I resolve to do this again and again and again and again. Because as it's been said before, forgiveness is more a promise than it is a feeling. Sometimes the feelings will follow. It doesn't often start there. Forgive one another as you too have been forgiven. As a Christian sister in Eritrea testified, um, Esther is a, a persecuted Christian, right? As we have prayed for suffering Christians around the world today, th this is what she says about her experience as a suffering believer in that nation. Uh, as Christians, we are required to love our enemies, even though it is very difficult to do that when they make you suffer or when they harm or kill your loved ones. We are, she says, as Christians required to love our enemies, to forgive. So don't take it from me. Take it from our mentors in forgiveness and perseverance, our suffering brothers and sisters overseas. There's a whole host of other practices that Paul 
points us to, communal practices, peacemaking. So let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Thanksgiving, and and be thankful, he says in verse 15. Uh, Gospelizing, right? Letting the word of Christ dwell among you richly. So much to say about that, being a community where you hear the chatter of God's word constantly in your midst. As people teach and admonish and sing words of grace to one another. And lastly, glorifying and doing all things in the name of the Lord Jesus, whether in word or in deed, doing everything you have to do in your work and in church, in your daily lives and on the weekends, in your homes and on your neighborhood streets. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, doing it for him and by his strength to exalt his name and doing it with his character. But I want to close by pointing us to this one thing. How do you do this? All this stuff we've been talking about, right? How do you do this impossible putting on these new clothes of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and and patience and bearing with each other and forgiving one another? How do you do it? Well, we already saw a clue when the apostle said, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. We ask ourselves the question, in what way has Christ done this very thing for me? Because, look, how does this whole passage begin in verse 12? Therefore, as what? As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and gentleness and kindness and patience and so on and so forth. Remember who you are in Christ and live into those clothes. Grow into them. Remember who you are and be like the one who made you who you are. Who are you? Chosen. Chosen, personally chosen by God. This is his love for you, like a a bride or an adopted child. God didn't just back into his commitment to you. He chose you, not accidentally, but deliberately, consciously, personally, lovingly, and he chooses you again and again and again. Chosen, holy set apart, special. He sees you like he sees no one else in the world, and you collectively as God's people like no one else in the world. His eyes sort of are are dazzled with affection and in singular commitment to his people. You belong to him in a unique and special way. You occupy his mind and his heart in a unique and special way. You're chosen. You're holy. You're dearly loved. You are the object of God's affection, the object of God's covenant commitment, one for whom he is willing to sacrifice himself, you even, unto death. You possess the heart of of God. This is who you are. Loved by God. Chosen by God. 
cared for by God, committed to by God. And it's out of this recognition that Paul then says, then, then put on all these attributes, do all these other things. And listen, don't miss it. Every attribute listed here is an attribute of Jesus, what he has already done for you and to you. Christ has been patient towards you. Christ had poured out his lavish, infinite kindness upon you in the cross and resurrection. Christ has suffered with you, entered even into your flesh, walking in your shoes, and even now pours out his priestly sympathy to all of your sorrows and pains. Christ in his humility put you first instead of himself, didn't seek to fill his mind with his own needs, but rather with yours. And the result was his death on the Christ. Christ is gentle with you, right? The way in which he restrains wrath or anger and the way that he is kind, considering your weakness always, speaking to you in a manner in which you can handle caring for you in your limitations and ever patient with you. Oh, the Christ of all patience who walks with you and drives alongside you, not with an Aston Martin, but a slow little scooter thing. If that's how you're scooting through life, Jesus who says, come alongside. No, more than that, I will come alongside you. I will go into the ditch on the side of the road with you. In fact, that's exactly what I did in dying for you, to lift you up and to take you to the heights of my glory. This is the love of Christ, and Christ in his word then says, put me on. Put me on, beloved one, holy one, chosen one. Put me on because all of this is me. You have me. I have draped myself over you. Now just live into who you already are and who you are becoming Dear friends, Jesus gives us a new wardrobe. Jesus gives us new clothes to wear. By faith, let's wear it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We ask that you would come have mercy upon us. Teach us. And and maybe more than anything, because we know we got to go down to the root, uh, not just the things that we need to do better, but help us to believe better, to believe that you really do love us this much, that we might learn to love, that you really have been this patient with us, that you really did humble, even humiliate yourself. This Help us to see you and so be transformed by faith in you, that we would put on what we know we've already been draped with and clothed in, that we would put on things that we've already been loved with. Make us more like you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.